Okay, I have a special treat for you guys today. Instead of me just standing up here and speaking at you, I'm going to make you guys do some work. <laughs> so you've heard me and others share about the good news of Jesus, rediscovering the good news of Jesus, I've called it in this series, talking about what is the gospel for several weeks now. And so now it's pop quiz time. <laughs> Okay, so what we're going to do in our time together... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. Let's, I'm just going to review what we're going to do together so it doesn't shock you too much. We're going to do a group quiz, so everyone will get into groups of maybe three, four, five people. And then you're going to have a quiz, a Kahoot, and I'll show you what that is in a second if you're not already familiar with it. And then... Uh, during that time, the ushers will also hand out some cue cards, index cards, so that every group has at least one or two uh, cards. And then we're going to have some questions and answers, Q&A, back and forth. Max is going to help host that time. And then I'm going to come back, close our time, and reflect on how do we share, practically, how do we share this good news that we've been learning about. Okay? Sound good? Some nods and some tentative kind of, oh, no, I don't know what to expect. But that's what we're going to do because I'm in control. <laughs> okay, so let's, um, we're going to move to the Kahoot now. But what I want you to do is to get in groups of minimum three people around you. So this is going to be a group effort. So for every question, the trick is you must have come to consensus about the answer to that question, okay? So this is third prize, some chocolate coins. This is... The second prize, we have mango um, chocolates that are uh, creamy white chocolate brightened by juicy tart mango puree. And then top prize, we have champagne truffles. Okay? What is the sweet spot of the gospel of Jesus? So there are your choices. The sweet spot is a message about God's rule in and through Jesus. The sweet spot is the salvation of men and women through faith in Jesus. The sweet spot is the balance between God's justice and mercy. The sweet spot is a message that all dogs go to heaven. What is the correct answer? 29 answers? Ah, the sweet spot is the message about God's rule, or his reign, or his kingship, in and through Jesus. That's what we've been talking about. That's the sweet spot of the good news of Jesus. Now, the sweet spot of the salvation of men and women through faith in Jesus, this is true. This is true. We are saved in, by faith, uh, through faith in Jesus. But as we've been talking about, what is it that, that releases that power? It's realizing his kingship and being able to be transformed in our obedience of him. The sweet spot is a balance between God's justice and mercy. I kind of just threw that in there. And then I'm not sure all dogs go to heaven, but I, I don't know. That was an easy one. Okay, next question. Okay, question two. Why is the name of Jesus Christ significant to the gospel message? Why is the name of Jesus Christ significant to the gospel message? Okay, ready? What is the correct answer? Oh, well done. Well done. Because it is a descriptive title for the Messiah. So once again, what does Messiah mean? 
the anointed one, right? Jesus, the anointed one. And who above all are anointed in the Old Testament? It was a king. It was, a, it, was a sh- it was an epithet. It was a way of saying that this is a short-term way of saying this is the anointed one. The Messiah is going to come and rule again. Um, it is true at the name of Jesus, every knee shall one day bow. But that was kind of a trick question because the focus was on Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. It's evidence that Jesus is of David's lineage. Well, not really. He is of David's lineage, and that's a part of the gospel message. But what is what what the title does really refer to is Christ being the anointed. And because Jesus means God saves, well, that is true. But again, it's not related to our topic. Okay, next question. Okay, what is the literal meaning of the word gospel? The literal meaning of the word gospel. Wow. Well done, all of you. The gospel means good news, literally. Euangelion in the Greek, you can divide that into two. Good news. Oh, I'm so proud of all of you. Well done. Okay, next question. How can one summarize a gospel? Oh, this is a kind of a tricky one. The gospel is that Jesus fulfills the entire story of God in the Bible. So let's go through a couple of these other answers. The gospel is that God has made a way for people to be made right with him. Is that true? Yes, it is true. And as you read the Bible and you kind of think about from those terms, more of a systematic approach, like if people have been separated from God, and this is kind of how we talk about it sometimes, how do we be made right with God? Well, it is true that we need to believe in Jesus, and that's part of the gospel message But again, what is the central gospel message? It's focusing on Jesus, right? So the gospel is that God will forgive your sins if you believe in Jesus? Well, that also is true. So it's kind of a trick question, like I said. And yet this is one of the benefits, the benefits of receiving the gospel message, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. Again, this is true. And this is sometimes how we articulate it. We share the gospel as, well, God has a plan for you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. This is true, but again, the focus is kind of on us and our needs and what we're looking for. Really, the good news as the New Testament kind of communicates it and expresses it all about Jesus, and we receive the benefits of that, of course. Okay, next. Jesus himself preached about the gospel in his lifetime. True or false? Jesus himself preached about the gospel in his lifetime. True or false? Oh, well done. Well done. It wasn't a trick question. So, yeah, Jesus did preach the gospel in his lifetime, right? He spoke about the kingdom of God, the good news of God. And this is before his death, before his resurrection, before the event of the cross, which We often sometimes just talk about the atonement of sins on the cross as the gospel, but Jesus was about preaching about the kingdom of God, and this was equated with the gospel of God, the good news of God. So we're talking about this overarching framework of the story of the Bible, okay? Well done. Okay, next. (laughs) According to the Bible, the most essential part of the gospel is... Now, this could be a bit tricky. 
Jesus was raised on the third day. Jesus shed his blood for the world. If we believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life. And that Jesus loves us unconditionally. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Again, that was a little bit tricky. Okay. So why the most essential part of the good news of Jesus is that he was raised on the third day. Why? Well, according to the New Testament, this proved his royalty. This proved the fact that he was king, right? Kings are not crucified and then die, according to the biblical message. Kings will reign, I mean, God's Messiah will reign forever. And Jesus being raised on the third day, I mean, it presumes that he was crucified and then he was raised. And so that proves to the New Testament authors and to the followers of Jesus that he was indeed the Messiah that he claimed to be. That Jesus shed his blood for the world? Yes, this is true. Is it important to the gospel message? Yes, it is. But without resurrection, that whole message of the gospel wouldn't make sense in the first century worldview. That if we believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life. Again, yes, this is true. But again, this is not quite at the very sweet spot of that gospel message we're talking about, right? It's kind of a little bit further out, that Jesus loves us unconditionally. Again, this is true. He does love us. Unconditionally is a bit of a loaded word, I think, sometimes in our culture. But the real answer, Jesus was raised on the third day. He's exalted to heaven, and that proves that he is Messiah and King. Okay, next. Oh, let's see an uh, update on the scores. Wow. <laughs> Newbies. The newbies have taken the lead. Okay, seven of eight. The gospel in its original context is more secular than it is religious. There was uh, an illustration I remember talking about this one Sunday. True. It is true. So remember that word. It was borrowed from originally the political and the military sphere in which an army would, one side would win in a battle. And good news, good news, we bring it back to the royal courts. Remember, that's a context that we first have of this use of the word evangel or euangelion or the gospel. And so in fact, sometimes we think of gospel as just something for the church or just for spiritual things or religious things. In fact, it's much wider. In that New Testament first century context, gospel was good news that was universal, is universally understood as something that was good for all of society, all of humankind, okay? The gospel is best understood within a theological framework of justification of sinners by faith through grace, the priesthood of all believers gathered together in community, the climactic enthronement of the biblical Messiah, God's Trinitarian love for all humanity. Oh, this is kind of tricky. Pretty good. Yeah, well done. The climactic enthronement of the biblical Messiah. So what I'm looking for is your understanding that this framework is a scriptural, biblical framework. It's a narrative framework. We're trying to understand the Bible as a whole. So we're not trying to kind of take parts of the Bible out and trying to understand them in isolation from each other, but we're trying to think about the Bible 
as a whole, the sweep of the Bible, we might say, the narrative, the story of the Bible. And there is a climax in this story, and that is the enthronement of the biblical Messiah, of the king, the anointed one. Okay, that's a framework where we understand this gospel message in. Now, these other ones are all true. That's what makes it kind of tricky. Justification of sinners by faith. This is a Lutheran dogma that really the reformers grew out of the 16th century. The context of uh, is faith by works or is it by grace and faith? I mean, is salvation by works or is it by faith and grace? And Luther and the reformers said, it's by, by grace, through faith. And this is true, but is that how we understand the context of the gospel that we've been trying to talk about in terms of the New Testament understanding? Like what's most native or what grows out of the New Testament context the most? It's not A, it's not B, the priesthood of all believers gathered in community. I put that in there just to throw some of you or brethren folks off. <laughs> because I, I know gathered together in community, priesthood of all believers, it's a good brethren um, doctrine, which I also believe. But again, it's not really where we're trying to understand the, the uh, gospel of Jesus. God's Trinitarian love for all humanity, that also is true. It's a great doctrine, a great teaching of the Bible that we kind of understand God in this kind of triune relational sense. But it's a little bit abstract, you see, that we're kind of trying to understand God, not simply from the Bible's own categories, but trying to understand him from a more almost philosophical way of, of, of thinking. Does that make sense? Okay. So you guys did really well. I'm, I'm really happy and really proud that you guys are listening. Okay. Let's see who, uh, who came, came in first. The Angelos, third place. The Newbies, second place. And... The Pew Warmers. Okay, can I have a representative from the Angelos? Who are the Angelos? Ooh. Um, okay, yeah, so we're going to head into like the next maybe 10, 15 minutes um, of a little question and response time. Um, and I'm super excited because I've learned a lot from this last week's. Um, and I think it's one of the really vital things um, in how to look at even just the Bible as a whole, but also the freedom that Jesus offers. So I'm excited. Um, this first question, um, what difference does this understanding of the gospel make to me personally? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good and an important question because I think one of the things that this kind of understanding of the gospel of the kingship or the lordship of Jesus really emphasizes is our obedience. So it really leads very naturally into our discipleship, or what I said, I called it our followership of Jesus. And so when we understand the gospel in the sense that Jesus is the center of that gospel message and that him being the king of this universe and therefore also of our lives as a central point, the climactic point of the good news of Jesus, then it very naturally lends itself to us thinking about, okay, now what's my relationship to this king, to this one whom God has appointed 
as the Lord of the universe. So the, the assumption, I think, is that we're all kind of in rebellion, right? That we kind of have made ourselves king and that Jesus is no longer king. And, but now that this declaration that Jesus is king has been made known, that's a primary, primary proclamation of that, that message in the first century, the church. What am I going to do? How do I respond? And part of that has to do with repentance, that we kind of turn away from the fact that I think I'm a better king than someone else is to rule my life than Jesus is. But Jesus has now been declared that king, and he's proven it so by being raised from the dead. And so what difference it makes to me is, is this, it leaves me with a, a response that's required. And it's not just something that's intellectually understood, as if something that we kind of can believe and not be changed, but it's something that we need to live out and obey and submit ourselves and walk with and follow this Jesus. Yeah, so I think that's where I would say in terms of the biggest difference it makes in terms of our understanding of the gospel. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Are we going all the way around just asking if they have any questions? Or? Yeah. Does anyone have any questions they'd like to ask that I can come, come grab? The, oh, you got Ooh, amazing. Uh, yeah, that's super helpful as well, especially in a response being not just um, in our knowledge or in our mind, but in our bodies and hearts yeah. and engaging our full lives in it. Okay, another question. Um, why are the different theories of atonement... So maybe if you could explain a short thing about what atonement is. Why are they relevant? Yeah, different theories of atonement. Now, this is how atonement really has to do with sin and the release or forgiveness or freedom from sin. And so this is one of the ways that the Bible does speak of our relationship with God, how that's important. Well, in the New Testament, atonement in terms of the, the shed blood of Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins is, I think it is important. It is part of the message, especially of the Gospel of John, and especially in Paul's letters, talking about uh, what the meaning of Jesus' death was for us in terms of our sin and the things that separate us. So the, what's the second part of that question? Um, why are they relevant? Why, why are they relevant? Yes. Yeah, well, some people probably wouldn't say it's super relevant because this is, again, it's a little bit, um, I would say it's a little bit abstract because you're talking about uh, something that is not very tangible. But it, I think it is relevant because what atonement really does is it does something with that brokenness of the sin that is in the world and in our lives. And so part of the message of atonement, which is not what we're centrally talking about when we talk about the gospel, but part of how the New Testament and the Bible, I think, wrestles with, it, with this idea of the darkness and the reality of sin is that it needs to be accounted for because God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice and fairness. And so how does he account for the evil in the world? How does he account for the darkness in the world and in our hearts? Is it simply just to say, press reset and kind of say, okay, it's okay. I pardon it. 
Mm, not exactly. He takes it on himself. And on himself, he meets out that punishment. He places the punishment that is due that sin onto himself. So this is what we kind of talk about as atonement, sacrifice that leads to this kind of forgiveness. But again, I wouldn't say that this is central to the gospel message. This is one of the things that we kind of have worked out, that Paul has worked out in terms of some of the background, in terms of the theology of how uh, forgiveness works. Mm. Um, and it's actually not just the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament sacrificial system. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Thank you I, so that's much. That's all I'll say about that. Um, other gospels in the ancient world, so there were other gospels in the ancient world, other competing good news things, um, claiming to be the pathway to the good life. Um, what would you say are some of the other gospels today in our culture that compete? Yeah, that's Maybe a really a good few. question. Yeah. yeah, what would you say? I mean, there are, I think, a lot of things that compete with this good news of Jesus. Um, it's sometimes hard, I think, for the church to even gain a hearing for the good news of Jesus as understood in the New Testament, um, I think one of the things is just the good life, quote-unquote, that we live here. There's so many things that we, you know, our, our freedom, um, the conveniences, uh, many things that we experience here in the West, especially in North America and Vancouver, that a lot of people would, would really enjoy and they don't experience in this world. And so... These things, the, what I consider the gifts that God has given us, we sometimes mistake the gifts for the giver, and these things become good news unto themselves. So just maybe the, the, worldly, um, the worldly benefits of being embodied human beings created by God. Um, and that's a good thing, and yet sometimes we take that as the end goal, and we lose sight of the bigger picture of us as being spiritual beings, of us as of having a greater purpose in life beyond just enjoying life. So that's, I think, one of the competing gospels. Um, wealth, wealth might be another one, especially for us who are generally well-to-do uh, in the Western world. Jesus said that mammon is like a god. It's, he gave it a name. Jesus called it mammon as if it were a God that had a name. And so it's almost like a personal thing that really competes with Jesus for his loyalty, for our loyalty. And so that, that can definitely be something that's a competing, I think, message of the good news, that somehow just if we have enough, and I'm not saying that money is not important and that wealth is not important or the material things are not important, it is, um, and God knows that, that we need it to live. Mm -hmm. And yet when we make that kind of that, the promise or the lure of uh, security, the ultimate good news, and that, that takes the place of this, this good news of Jesus being reigning, reigning as king over this world. Yeah. That's another one I would probably say. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, and then that was kind of a two-parter. There's a second part to the question, which is, and how do we respond to those who are living by these other gospels? Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> How do we respond to those who are living um, by these other, gospels? these other gospels? And even to pair that with another question, um, how do we share or how, we re how do we respond to people that don't believe in the biblical narrative? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think probably I would start with saying that, that 
that good news, those other good news messages, uh, we feel the reality of them or the lure of them, the power of them perhaps, and that if we can think back in our own lives that, uh, and perhaps even presently in our lives, where the powers of these other messages uh, still entice us, then we can at least have a, uh, a kind of a compassion and empathy for, for others as well. So that we're not, you know, Bible bashing, you know, that, that term where we're kind of hitting people over the head with the Bible and um, trying to argue them into the truth of Christianity, but we're coming at it more relationally because we understand that there are other messages of the truth or messages of the good news or versions of the good news that are not aligned with a biblical one and that they do have a certain allurement to them and that, in fact, we, we know that. But if our experience as we, decide, uh, as we are disciples of Jesus is true, then, then those other messages are empty in the end. That even though there's a certain promise to uh, what those messages they, they want to offer, that if we follow them and we give them our allegiance, for example, money, uh, wealth, we realize that actually we never have enough, right? There's, there's this kind of dissatisfaction that will leave us wanting because these other good news messages are not, we're not created to have these good news messages be fulfilled by anything other than Jesus reigning in our life. So I would say that, yeah, one, realize that, that we're all kind of in the same boat. Um, two, um, have that reality sink into our own lives that, that, we, that we realize that these other messages don't really fulfill. And that, that, that kind of uh, makes us think about our own Christian lives. Is it truly, really fulfilling um, in the deepest sense? And if it's not, why not? And then third, like this message about the Bible, I think this is kind of a, this is a really good question because we live in a society that really is, is gone farther and farther away from Christian, its Christian roots and biblical understanding. And so many people today are kind of coming at the question of Christianity and the Bible with kind of ignorance about what the scriptures are. And that's kind of different from how the good news was preached in the New Testament because uh, either it was to Jewish people at the very beginning or people who had some kind of, uh, even if they were not Jewish, Acts called them the God-fearers, people who had some inclination for those who are looking for a greater sense of reality and have familiarity with uh, the Jewish customs and story. And so I think it takes time. And some of it has to do with um, almost like pre-evangelism in the sense that we have to kind of find those entry points in terms of uh, what are people looking for in terms of meaning in this life and fulfillment and not being able to find that in these other spheres and realms. And, and then being able to say, okay, well, there's, there is a story that's outside of ourselves. It's the Bible. Mm. And this story of Christianity is grounded supremely in this event of the resurrection of Jesus. So it's history, and it's grounded in something in this world and in history that is outside of ourselves. And so if we start to ask those kinds of questions, then it takes us beyond just um, something that's for us, 
but then we can start to find meaning in, in a greater, uh, yeah, greater context. Yeah. yeah, that's very helpful. I think even just the starting place of uh, wanting to share coming out of the soil of kind of compassion yeah. rather than contempt yeah. and a place of not entitlement of like, this is the only thing and you need to do this right now, but actually let your heart break yeah. for people that are following yeah. a different gospel. Yeah. yeah, really good. Thanks, Sam. Can we do one more? One more, yeah. Um, ooh, let me think about this for a second. We got one more. I got to be intentional. Or are um, we done? <laughs> Maybe how important are the details behind the gospel message? Maybe the periphery ones, yeah. even around uh, Jesus' kingship. How important is that to maybe if you speak on personally, but then also in the spread of the gospel and yeah. um, the freedom it brings in yeah. the world? Thanks. And actually, that's a perfect question to segue into the next little perfect. segment of um, the message. And I do want to look at the text. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about I'll save that one as I talk about this text that we're looking at, Acts chapter 26. Perfect. And then we'll move right into that. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Thanks, well, Nick. before, I just wanted to thank you and all the other people, Petra, Raphael, all the people that will continue to speak in this series. Um, yeah. 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 It's been really wonderful. Yeah. And there are two more. The series is not finished yet. Yes, so Adith will come next week and speak on um, transformation and the Holy Spirit and power. And uh, the week after, Mike was going to talk about worship and the place of worship and the gospel. Amazing. Thanks, everyone, for engaging. Okay. Um, But I do want to close by returning to the message uh, that we, well, the reading that we had read out to us by Andrew from Acts chapter 26 and talk about a little bit more about the sharing of the good news Uh, How do we do it? How do we share this good news? Uh, Petra had a wonderful message in which she shared about um, how do we share it with our lives so that our lives really align with the message that we're sharing. Today, I want to talk a little bit about um, what what are the words, what are the messages that we're going to speak in terms of this good news? How do we say it? And what's really interesting about the book of Acts is that because this is the earliest record of how the church spread the good news, how they communicated the good news. So I think it's a good way to kind of begin to think about how we can spread the good news. So what's interesting about Acts, there are these four speeches in the book of Acts, which there are these long sermons. Well, in the book of Acts, they're not long, but you might imagine that in that first century context, There were these speeches that people gave sharing about what the message of Christianity was. And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter in Jerusalem, this is on the day of Pentecost, preaches to those who are gathered, the Jews uh, from every nation, and he shares the gospel, the good news. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, before he's stoned and martyred, proclaims Jesus' as the Messiah to the Jewish ruling council. In Acts chapter 13, Paul now proclaims Jesus as the Messiah to those who were gathered at that synagogue in which he was uh, ministering. And then at the end of Acts, Acts chapter 26, Paul again proclaims Jesus as Messiah to King Agrippa II, as, as we have read, had read out to us. Now what's interesting is that each of these Context is quite different. One is to the Jews in Jerusalem, 
Another one is to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. Another one is just to ordinary Jews gathered at synagogue. And the other one is to, uh, um, to King Agrippa II, kind of a, a heathen king um, in, uh, who ruled in Palestine, uh, one of King Herod's um, followers. So the context in which these messages were given are different. The people who were giving the messages are different. And yet, if you read those messages, those speeches back to back to back, what you will see is that there's some commonalities to how this good news was shared. And I just want to point out what some of those are. And it's really quite simple. All of these sermons focus, number one, on Jesus as being the fulfillment of the Old Testament story. That's the first thing. And so some of them go into greater detail about what that story was, the biblical Old Testament story, the history of the Old Testament. Some of them go into great detail. Some of them kind of fly through it more quickly. And David is, in a, is a crucial part of that. David and the promises to David and through David that were yet to be fulfilled, and Jesus as the fulfillment of that. So that's the first point of commonality. The second is that Jesus died, he suffered and died, he was crucified. And so that's something else that they all point out. And third, his resurrection. And again, this points out, his resurrection points out that he is now, the implication is that not just he raised and would died again, but he raised, was exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father, and now he is Lord and King over this universe. So this is basically the gospel message in a nutshell. And all of this will be very familiar to you and is familiar to you now. I know that because we just did this quiz, right? So this is kind of like if you have to boil down the good news message and sharing it, that's what it would be. It's not very complex, but especially that background of the Old Testament is a bit harder to kind of grasp in a very um, succinct way. But if you know your Old Testament story, it's not that hard. You can talk about it uh, within a couple of minutes and ground it in the history of um, civilization. Now, what we had read out to us, I think, is really um, interesting because in this message that Paul preached or was speaking to, he's giving a defense um, of his own life. He's been accused of all sorts of things, and he's now defending himself against... Um, these accusations. And what happens is that, first of all, he starts by sharing his own testimony. He starts by sharing his own story, right? That he was somebody who persecuted the church. He literally watched Christians die, and he was pleased that they were dying because he thought that they were blaspheming God. He thought that they were doing something that was heretical that was completely contrary to his uh, understanding of who God was. And then he talks about how Jesus encounters him on that road to Damascus, and then how there's this complete 180-degree change in his life. And now he's been appointed as someone to actually go and proclaim the truth of what he was persecuting or what he was trying to condemn before. So he starts with that story and then he goes on and talks about the truth of the story. 
and the death of the Messiah. And he focuses especially on the resurrection of the Messiah. And he's saying, you know, how can you not believe this? Because this is something that we have witnessed. And in the end, King Agrippa doesn't really uh, agree with him. We, that's outside of our text. But he focuses on that objective truth that this is something that happened. The objectivity outside and beyond himself. So there are these two kinds of ways, I think, that as we kind of share the good news of Jesus, there is the subjective and then there's the objective. So this is kind of how I would break it down in a very simple way. When we share the good news of Jesus, there's a subjective good news. How did you enter into this story? Did you enter into the story of God that he's been writing? Now, how did you come into it? And how did you realize it was true for you? You know, Paul had a certain way of entering into that that was very unique and aligned with the calling that Jesus was appointing him towards. But how did you enter into this story? And your story will speak to someone who's looking for truth if you tell it in a sincere, honest way. And how was this message power to save for you? you know, so for Paul, we think about, well, he's on the one hand persecuting Christians, really murdering Christians. He's thinking about, okay, wow, uh, this is my life's calling, murdering Christians. And then he turns around and he becomes the founder of churches and, and really the inspiration of so many churches uh, living a life of, Love, joy, peace. Like that's the kind of transforming power it had in his life. And he reflects back on his life later on in like say Timothy and talks about he was a chief of all sinners. I don't think it's hyperbole. I think he's reflecting on his life and what he had done in the past. Yeah, but he's been saved from that. He's power to save and now he's actually appointed as an apostle to basically the Roman world. How has this message power to save for you? And how has the obedience of faith changed you? So Paul was obedient to Jesus. I guess he could have not obeyed, right? He could have not been faithful over the many years of his life, despite the hardships and the suffering and the persecutions that he then endured on Jesus' behalf. And yet he continued to be obedient. It's changed him. And because of him, we have half the New Testament. We have the churches of the, uh, the first century. And then finally, the object of good news, um, which we've already spoken about. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus is king. And Jesus calls for your faith and obedience. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray. I'm going to end our time. But I want you to think about your entry point into this good news. How is this message power to save for you? And how has your obedience to the Lord changed your life? So as you reflect on these things, these are the ways that you can share the good news with others from this kind of subjective, personal story kind of way, and then understanding where scripture points towards.
and the flow of narrative of scripture.